0: it's Chris Freeland, and you're listening to the Doxology Bible Church Podcast. If you want to know more about who we are or learn to connect with us, please visit doxology.church. Most of all, we hope the following message will help you take the next step in your faith journey, whatever it is.
1: In scripture, it says that Stephen looked up to heaven and he saw God, and he saw Jesus standing next to his father, looking at him which was confirmation that in this moment, when Stephen is dying, he saw Jesus. And that was exactly what I needed to hear so that I could know that when whatever was happening to Molly, that she knew that he was with her and that in an instant from the moment she was alive to the moment she died, she was in the arms of Jesus. And and that's what I carried with me To help quiet the fears that would come up in my mind, she wasn't alone. He was with her in that moment, and she has been with him ever since that moment. Doxology Bible Church is proud to present EverStory, launching wherever you listen to podcasts on June 6th. Every story is a weekly, seasonal podcast featuring Christ-centered stories of hope and transformation told by people just like you. No chit-chat, just raw, powerful stories. Stories inspire us to connect with each other in real, tangible ways. With stories, we're able to glorify a God who relentlessly pursues us. Mark 16.15 tells us to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole of creation. Stories embody who we are as Christians. Without them, Paul's letters would have never been shared. Without stories, a person with Christ in their heart might never find the courage to bring the word to their neighbor. Without stories, the Great Commission never occurs. Check in with us often as we introduce stories about the way Jesus' radical love is moving in truly awesome ways. Find every story wherever you listen to podcasts. Also follow doxology bible church on facebook or instagram at doxology bible want to share your story or know someone who might send us an email to stories at doxology.church because everyone has a story
0: hey it's chris freeland and you're listening to the doxology bible church podcast If you want to know more about who we are or learn to connect with us, please visit doxology.church. Most of all, we hope the following message will help you take the next step in your faith journey, whatever it is. Hey, it's Chris Freeland, and you're listening to the Doxology Bible Church Podcast. If you want to know more about who we are or learn to connect with us, please visit doxology.church. Most of all, we hope the following message will help you take the next step in your faith journey, whatever it is. Well, good morning, Doxology. Hey, good to see you guys. Those of you that are in the service, hey to those of you online joining us from all over the country for all kinds of reasons. Great to worship with you guys as well. Hey, however you get a Bible in front of you, would you grab one and get it in front of you and meet me in Ephesians chapter one today? Those of you that are in the service, uh, grab one of these Bibles that looks like this. If you need a Bible to borrow or keep, go to page 798. You'll find Ephesians chapter one, uh, 798 in these Bibles, and go ahead and get it in front of you. Uh, maybe this morning, even more than most mornings, when I tell you to do that, uh, we're covering a huge chunk of Scripture today, and so it'll help you follow along if you got it in front of you. You can read. So, page 798, Ephesians chapter one. We're starting a brand new series this morning that we've called "Made for More." A couple of weeks ago, Carrie and I got invited to uh, be a part of an event that supported Pregnancy Lifeline at the Fort Worth Zoo. Uh, so Pregnancy Lifeline is one of our mission partners. Uh, I love the work that Pregnancy Lifeline is doing uh, with families and especially families that find themselves in a crisis pregnancy situation or uh, women that find themselves in a crisis pregnancy situation. They're doing really, really great stuff. In fact, I don't know if you know this, uh, Pregnancy Lifeline, statistically speaking, is one of the biggest, most successful, if not the biggest, most successful crisis pregnancy center in the entire world. And they're just right across the street. Um, and I love not only what they're doing, but I love how they're doing it. So anytime Carrie and I get invited to be a part of it personally, anything that they're doing, or uh, us as a church getting invited to be a part of something that they're doing, our answer is yes. Uh, just tell us where to show up and what to do. Uh, so in this on this occasion, it was to show up at the Fort Worth Zoo. So you need to know, uh, we love Pregnancy Lifeline. Uh, Carrie and I have this love-hate relationship with the zoo. Uh, so Fort Worth has one of the top couple of best zoos, if not the best zoo in the entire world. Uh, We know that. We love that. Um, Our kids love going to the zoo. So we're at the zoo a lot because we love our kids. But for Carrie and me, it's kind of a struggle going to the zoo. Before I tell you a little more about the struggle that we've got in going to the zoo, let me just say I know that there are some zoo lovers who are present with us this morning. Um, I know there are several zoo employees that are present with us this morning. So uh, before you cancel my season pass... Before uh, the marketing director starts drafting her email that I know is inevitably coming today, uh, let me just tell you, I know the arguments. I know the arguments for the zoo, and they're good arguments for the zoo, okay? So I know that the animals at the zoo are safe from predators that they would normally experience in their natural habitat. That's good. I'm for that, right? Uh, I know that they're comfortable at the zoo, that they're well-fed. They have everything they need, most of what they want at the zoo, I know that them being at the zoo is even good for the species that live in the natural habitat outside of the zoo. So lots to love about the zoo. Here's what I kind of hate about the zoo. I, I just can't shake the knowledge when I'm walking through the zoo. When I look at these big, strong, powerful, majestic creatures that all of them were made for more than the life. That they live at the zoo. Like the lion was made to roam, to run, to wander free, made to be the king of the savannah, not just the main attraction at the zoo. As I look at those animals, I just can't shake the feeling that all of them are made for more, it's kind of the same feeling that I feel when I think about some of us. We're safe, we're protected, we're well-fed, we're comfortable, and we're missing out on the more we were made for. I wonder if that's true of you today. For some of us, it's true, and we just haven't given a must thought, because the less that we live is the only life we've ever known. We were born into the confines of comfortable and safe. We don't even know that there's a world out there that's bigger than our little world, where we're well-protected and safe, fat and happy and comfortable. We haven't given much thought to a world outside of our world. Some of us have. We've been to that world. We still live in that world, just like some of the animals at the zoo. But we've been brought to this place. And to be honest, we kind of prefer it where we are now. Where we're safe, protected, fed, comfortable. Some of us have heard stories from some of them about a world that's bigger than our own little world but we've just assumed that it's not really for people like us. So we've settled for less when we were made for more. Here's the thing. Sometimes the less that we've settled for is in a cage of our own making. The God who created us is longing for us to step out of the confines of comfortable and into something more that he specifically designed, not just all of us, but each one of us to live into. Here's my hope. We look through the book of Ephesians for the next six weeks together. I'm hoping that every single one of us would catch a glimpse of the more that we're made for and that every single one of us would take a step or maybe two steps or maybe six steps outside of the confines of comfortable and into a life that it turns out is even better than safe, well-fed, and comfortable. We're going to fly through the book of Ephesians together. Uh, we're going to take a chapter a week as we go through it. So I'll just warn you ahead of time, some of you that really love to dive deep, you're going to be a little frustrated that we don't talk about everything. We can't cover everything in six weeks. Listen, we couldn't cover everything in 60 weeks. One of my very favorite professors at Dallas Seminary was a guy named Harold Honer. He made his life's work, a commentary on the book of Ephesians. It's 1,000 pages. All right, most weeks I'm trying to cut through 12 pages worth of notes. So you just do the math and project out there, and he still left stuff unsaid. So we can't cover everything. I want to give you the landmarks to help you stay familiar with where you're at along the way so that when you come back to this book or when you go there this week and look at more of the details, you can find your way around through the book of Ephesians. Here's what's really unique about the book of Ephesians as we start to look at the book together. Uh, Most of the letters that Paul wrote to churches, he wrote to the the leaders of the church to address a problem in the church that he hoped that they would address. But Ephesians is not like that. It's a letter that's written specifically to the people of the church to be circulated around the average Christ followers who live there in the town of Ephesus. That it would go from house to house, from person to person. Ordinary people, the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, the teacher, the lawyer, the doctor, the nurse, the stay-at-home mom, the stay-at-home dad, the artist, the poet. That everybody would see this letter and understand what it says and live into what it promises Individually, personally, specifically. And that's my prayer for you as we go through this book. It's written to show people like us, not just how to survive, but how to thrive outside of the confines of comfort in a world just like the world we were created to live within. Ephesus wasn't a culture, wasn't a world completely unlike our world. In fact, Ephesus was a radically multicultural society. It was a place where uh, there wasn't just one or two religions. There were temples, headquarters for more than 50 different religions right there in Ephesus, And it wasn't just the center of religious thought, it was the center of non-religious thought. Ephesus had one of the biggest libraries in all of ancient history, right there in Ephesus. It was a place where religious scholars and non-religious scholars all kind of combined in this place. This place that was set right along a, a trade route of the ancient world, where industry thrived. And not only did industry thrive there, it came to that place and then went from that place, not just products and industry, but philosophies and theologies and ideas. They came to Ephesus and went from Ephesus, from the rest of the world to the rest of the world. And Ephesus was a place where all ideas and theologies and philosophies were accepted and embraced as long as they weren't seen as competition or contradiction to any of the other ideas or thoughts or philosophies or theologies. Does that sound like a familiar place? How do you thrive when you live in a place like that? Some of us would like to know. Ephesians shows us. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Look at how the book starts. Starts into a pretty deep section with a pretty broad statement. Paul says, verse 3, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. All right, now here's how the book of Ephesians is set up the first half of ephesians so ephesians chapter 1 2 and 3 is pretty heavy on theology it tells us who we are made to be in christ how to th- what it looks like what we've been given so that we can thrive in a world like the world where we live that's ephesians chapter 1 2 and 3 ephesians chapter 4 5 and 6 the second half of the book get pretty practical telling us what it looks like when we thrive in the place that we are with all of the things that we've been given Chapter 1 is like a microcosm of the whole book. It starts off pretty heavy theology. Who we are in Christ, what we've been given so that we can thrive. And then it gets really, really practical for each and every one of us. Paul says at the very beginning, praise the Lord, praise to be to God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Notice, it's not will bless us. It's not who might bless us. Praise to be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. You know what Paul's saying? And he's saying this to you if you've put your trust in Christ. If you've put your trust in Christ, your identity is found in Christ. It's like when you look at a jet flying through the sky. The people who have put their trust to step onto that airplane are flying through the sky, they get identified by the airplane. You don't ever look up into the sky and go, wow, that guy in row 21, he's flying. Look at him. You say, look, the plane is flying. It's not because of anything the guy in row 21 did. He's flying because of something that the plane is doing. And when he put his trust in the plane, he became identified with the plane as the plane does what the plane does and goes where the plane's going. You understand that? Here's what Paul says, Ephesians chapter 1. When you put your trust in Christ, your identity from that point on is found in him. It means some things are true about you, not because of anything you do, but because of who he is, what he's done, what he's doing, and where he's going. When you look through that list, starting in verse 3, going all the way through verse 14, the list of things that are true of you is staggering. It will blow your mind. We don't have time to dive deep into every single one of them. And listen, that's okay. okay? It's going to frustrate some of you that you don't because you're going to look through there and see some terms that you really love to dive deep in and debate and argue about and try to under, understand every little piece of it. And you do it so much that you never get beyond it. Notice Paul doesn't take the time to dive deep into all of these things. So here's what you've got in Ephesians chapter 1, the first half of the chapter. It's, it's like Paul goes deep sea diving, like you were to go deep sea diving and discover a buried treasure. If you opened up that treasure chest, you would just start to pull out all of the things that you, look at, it's a necklace. Look at these coins. That's incredible. Look at the jewelry. Look at the the crown that's here. And you would look at it and then move it aside and look at what else is there. And you wouldn't take the time to appraise and understand everything that's in there. You don't have to understand everything in the treasure chest in order to know that you're rich. And here. Paul doesn't take the time to dive deep into all of the things that he sees because he knows if he does, he'll run out of oxygen and drown before he ever gets to live into the thing that he can live into now that the treasure is his. You understand that? That's important for some of us because some of us have found ourselves diving so deep, but spending so long on one or two words or one or two concepts trying to appraise it and perfectly understand it before we ever move on to it that we're running out of oxygen and we're never getting to the point. That's going to happen to some of you in your community group this week. When you start to unpack this passage, you start to look at what it says and ask what it means, there will be somebody who gets so consumed with counting and appraising and fully understanding one word or one concept or one thought in here that the whole group's going to run out of oxygen and drown before you ever get to the point of what the treasure points to and the mission and the life that you and I are invited to live into. Paul doesn't take the time to fully explain Fully appraise everything that he says here. Listen, we don't have to either. There's a time for that. Paul's going to take a time for that at another place, in another letter. This is not the time for that. Understand the treasure that you have. That's enough. What Paul doesn't want you to miss is his point, and he says it three times. So if you've got your Bible open and a pen that you can take notes in your own Bible, I want you to circle three things, okay? Look back in this passage Look back at the very beginning of what he starts to talk about in verse 6. Circle the words, to the praise of his glorious grace. Circle those in your Bible. You see them there in verse 6? Then look down to verse 12. You'll see the same words again, or really similar words. To the praise of his glory. Circle those words. Then look again at the end of verse 14. You'll see it one more time. To the praise of his glory. Notice, that's the point. With all of the things that Paul says that we have, there is one thing he doesn't want you to miss. So he says it three different times throughout the passage. It's the why behind all of the what's. Why do you have what you have? It's all to the praise of his glory. So understand what Paul says you have. He says when you look through this verse, Paul says, before the universe was established, God had you in mind, and he had a purpose for you. You weren't mass-produced. He has a purpose for there being a you, exactly like you, right in the place where you're placed. And he wants a life different for you than the life that you chose for yourself. He knows everything about you. And still he set his love on you. He saw you right where you were. Pursued you. Rescued you. Forgave you. And has lavished his grace on you. He's provided for you. And he holds his promise secure. He sealed it with his power. Why? To the praise of his glory. Paul says, Christ is not like an airplane... That's parked at the gate. You put your trust in him. You're identified him. And then you just expect to sit on the tarmac. Where are you going to in Christ? To the praise of his glory. So we got to ask ourselves a question. What does the praise of his glory mean? We talk a lot about glory at doxology It's the first half of our name. Doxa is the Greek word for glory. Glory is when God shows up and he wants to show off who he is and what he's like. That's what glory is. Paul says God's blessing to you and he's given you everything that you need for it is that wherever you go, whenever you're there, that you show up and show him off to the point that the people around you and the places around you spontaneously applaud him because you showed up, show off who he is, what he's like through his grace towards you. He designed you for that. He tailor-made you for that. He's provided everything you need for that. Wherever you are, whenever you're there, In fact, you can't not do that unless you just refuse to be who you are. Choose to live in the confines of comfort in your own little world because he secured it, he provided for it, he sealed it in him. There is absolutely no risk to you except the risk that you would refuse to be who you are wherever you are where you are, whenever you're there. Maybe you have to be a pastor to understand why Paul does what Paul does next. What I really want to show you this morning, starting in verse 15, but I really don't think you have to be a pastor to understand this. I think you just have to be a person that realizes the gravitational pull of less in our world and a heart that doesn't want yourself or the people you love to get sucked in by the pull of less. Less. So, Paul lists all of these things. He rifles through the treasure chest of the Christian life. And then in verse 15, he stops to pray. Here's what you have starting in verse 15 you got the heart of a pastor who wishes that he could sit down with every single individual in the Ephesian church and walk them through what he's just said. But he realizes he can't. So he stops. And he says, God, I'm afraid they're going to miss it. God, please don't let them miss it. That same professor, Harold in his commentary on Ephesians calls this the prayer for the person who has everything. That's exactly what it is. And if it's okay for me to be a little personal and pastoral with you, this is one of the prayers that I pray for you. When I think of you, when I pray for you, not just us, you. I wish I could sit down with every single one of you and just walk through everything in the first part of Ephesians chapter 1 to help you experience them, to help you live into them, to help you discover them, but I can't. But I don't want you to miss it any more than Paul wants the Ephesians to miss it. So I do what he does. Just get on my knees and throw up my hands and say, God, you got to help us. Look at his prayer, beginning in verse 15. Paul says, for this reason, so in light of your spiritual treasure chest that God has given you in Christ, Paul says, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. What do you pray for, Paul? Well, I'll tell you. I keep asking that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Listen, doxology. My heart for you is not just that you would show up more. My hope for you is not just that you would give more. It's not just that you would behave better. It's that every single day of your life, not just every single week of your life, every single day of your life, you would know him better. It's my prayer for you. Here's what I want for your relationship with him. It's not just to be a week-by-week week relationship. It's a day-by-day day relationship that you would know him better that every single day of your life would be a deeper connection with him, that you'd have wisdom, that's what he prays for, that you'd see life from God's perspective, that you'd have discernment, the ability to make decisions based on wisdom, that you'd seek God's guidance through God's spirit so that you could take every single step of your life, not just your Sunday steps, but every single step of your life in an increasing knowledge of Jesus that's what I pray for you. Paul knows, come on, I know, that did not come naturally for any of us. And he knows that as a pastor. He knows that he as a pastor, I know I'm as a pastor almost completely helpless when it comes to doing what I want for you. Like I could preach a great sermon that's in the text that's deep and filled with theology that's clear and sticky So that it's got handles on you. It's portable. You can take it with you and remember it wherever you go. I can give you a step that's clear application right from the text. I can do it every single week. And you could still choose to live into less than what God's made you for. You could still choose to opt for religion instead of Jesus. I can point you in the right direction. I can make it sticky. But if you're not living out of a personal connection with him, you will always Settle for less than the more you were made for. Doxology, I want you to know him better. That's what Paul wants for these people. Keep reading verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Do you notice Paul doesn't say the obligation? You notice he doesn't say the duty, the responsibility that he's called you to. He wants you to know that there's hope on the other side of the confines of comfort, not the obligation or the duty or the responsibility that you have to go there. There's hope there. Write down this. Purpose that he's praying for, that I pray for you, is that you would know the hope of your calling. Paul wishes he could sit down at a table at Starbucks with every single person in the Ephesians church and say, listen, I believe that God created you for a purpose. Let's figure out what it is. I believe God put you in the perfect position to accomplish his purpose in you and through you. I believe he placed you in exactly the right place. He didn't get the address wrong when he put you in your neighborhood. He didn't get the calendar wrong when he... Made you be born at the time in history, on the day in history that you were born. He didn't get the DNA wrong when he placed you in your family, your family with you. He has a reason for you. He doesn't just have a reason for someone like you or for the people near you. He doesn't just have a purpose for someone instead of you. He's got a purpose for you and i want you to know it because when you discover it when you begin to live into it, it will fill your heart with hope because you'll discover even on the other side of the confines of comfort this is the more it was made for come on i want that for you i don't want you to settle for less paul says please god don't let them settle for less especially with all you've given them. In fact, that's how he concludes it. Look at it. Second part of that verse, verse 18. Two more things Paul prays for. He prays that they would understand the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for those who believe. Look how he describes that power. The power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand In the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that's invoked, not only in the present age, but in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That kind of power, he wants you to experience. It's his provision inheritance and power. We talked about the treasure chest. Here, Paul used the illustration of a trust fund. Do you realize you're a trust fund person with an inheritance from your father? I mean, imagine, can you imagine being the heir to a fortune and not doing anything with it? Just ignoring it completely. It's there for you to live out of, to live from. And you don't use it. You don't spend it. You don't give it. You just let it sit there, ignored, untouched, while you go about your everyday life. Because you reason, well, I'm comfortable. Paul says, God, please don't let them live like that. With access to all of this, please don't let them limit their life with you to 72 minutes on a Sunday every once in a while when it's convenient. Let me ask you this. When was the last time that you found yourself depending on the same power that God used when he raised Jesus from the dead? You know, the answer is for most of us. Most of us, the last time we found ourselves dependent on that power was when we put our trust in Christ to save us, to give us life instead of spiritual death. And then after that, never again. Most of us don't, have a moment, much less everyday life, where we're depending on his power that he's given to us. We don't like to be dependent on his power. We're not comfortable when he's in control. I mean, if we're honest, we trust us with us more than we trust him with us. So we stay inside the confines of comfort. We never look for life outside of us. Come on, I want more for you than that. I think you want more for you than that. Because we're made for more than the confines of comfort. I want you to live the kind of life with Jesus where you know him better every single day. Where you discover the hope, not just of our calling, but of your calling. The reason that he placed you where he placed you so that you can live with a white-knuckled enthusiasm and hope, life with God, that you can't lose because he sealed up everything in the heavenlies, in Christ. I want every single one of us to live into our purpose with him. What is it? That we would live in Christ to the praise of his glory. Paul uses another illustration, some different language in verse 23. He prays that we would live into in Christ, who's the head over everything for the church, which is made to be what? Look what he says. His body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I just want to hit this really quickly, but I want to do it justice because this is the theme. And this is a theme that's not just going to show up here, but it's going to show up all throughout the rest of the book of Ephesians. In some ways, the whole chapter points to this, and then the whole book of Ephesians points back to this same idea. The theme of fullness shows up all throughout the book. Here's the idea. Paul says that the church, okay, not the organization, not the institution, not the building, the gathered and scattered people of God are his body. The way he shows up, right? Glory is how God shows up and shows off who he is. Remember the first half of the chapter, to the praise of his glory? Paul says the reason that he's begging God that you and I would know him better, live into the hope of his calling, and all that he's given us as his people is that God's plan A, and there is no plan B, for showing up and showing off who he is and what he's like in a world like this, is people like us. God's plan, notice Paul says it explicitly, is that the fullness of Jesus would fill everything in every way. So here's the middle picture you have to have of what Paul's inviting us into. I'll show you a picture of the Atacama Desert. The Atacama Desert is a place where most of the time is just dry, arid, parched, thirsty, cracked land. Not totally unlike the world where we live. It's a world where it's really hard to live. It's hard to survive. It's virtually impossible to thrive until the rain comes. When the rain comes, and it doesn't take a lot of rain, just a little bit of rain, even just a little bit of rain. When it comes to the Atacama Desert, it fills in the cracks of a dry, parched land. All of the cracks and crevices and the dry surface, all of the parched places. And when it does, almost overnight, life springs up. And the land begins to flourish That's the mental picture you have to have of you when Paul talks about the more you were made for. The plan of God for every single one of us. Like drops of rain, take the fullness of Jesus and fill in the cracks of the dry, parched places where we find ourselves wherever we are, whenever we're there, every day, every door, every time. That's what God made you for. That's what he made me for. And Paul prays, I pray, that you'll know it, that you'll experience it. You know, every year when we do our Ask Me Anything Uh, series where you submit a question, something you need to hear about from the Bible, this is always one of the top five questions that, that people ask. What's God's will for my life? This is at least part of the answer to that question. And here's the cool thing about this, you don't have to ask about it. You don't have to pray about it. You don't have to wonder about it. You don't have to pray about whether or not to do this. You only have to pray about where to do this. This is God's calling for your life. This is God's will for your life. If you're in Christ, it's what he made you for. God wants you to make sure that the places you're going, the places that you're reaching, are filled with someone who really loves him and is living into his purpose, who's taking the fullness of who Jesus is To the cracked, dry, parched places within their reach. Notice the question is not what's our responsibility. The question is what's my reach? So, what is your reach? What is it today already without even really thinking about it? And what could it be someday if you decided to stretch out of the confines of comfort and live into life that's really living? What's your reach? Where are the places? Maybe even more importantly, who are the people that could flourish if all of us would simply take the step? We're going to talk about how and what that specifically could look like all throughout the rest of this series, but here's what we know. Here's what we know. God cares about the nations, and God cares about your neighborhood. Some of you, God may call you to fill the cracks of a dry, parched land of another nation with his fullness. I hope you're open to that. But all of us, here's what we know. He's inviting us to fill the cracks of a dry, parched Fort Worth today. You know how I know? Because you woke up in Fort Worth today. Wherever you are, whenever you're there, whatever it looks like, however you're gifted, Wherever he's called you to, within your reach, to bring the fullness of who Jesus is out of knowing who he is, experiencing the hope of his calling out of the power that he gives to a person who's identified in him and simply trusts him to go where he's going. What would that look like if you spread into this city, the places that you're placed? And chose to bring flourishing to the dry, cracked ground of those places. What would it look like for you? Well, I've got a way that you can kind of illustrate it for yourself. In fact, you've got an insert in your worship guide. Uh, It looks a little like this. You go ahead and pull that out. Uh, Don't put your name on it because you're actually going to hand this in in a second. I want to show you something, but I want to show us something next week. So grab this one, pull it out, grab a pen. And here's what I want you to do just even while I'm talking. Uh, That's a map of Fort Worth. Would you just put a dot, make sure it's a dot that we can see, but put a dot there in the place that represents where your home is, the place that represents where you work, where you go to school, places that you like to frequent to eat, places that you like to go if you get an hour off to go play. Places that you serve, places that you shop. Where are the places that are within your reach this week? Just think about this week. Some of you, you're going out of the country this week. Would you write that on the back, the places that you're going? Uh, Some of you, you work in another town. It's not captured on this map. Just write it on the back. You play in a place that's different from here. Just write it on the back. And then I want you to drop that in the offering bucket in just a second, because I want you to see what your reach is today. But next week, I want to show you and us what our reach is just this week. I'll give you a hint. When it comes to us spreading out to our reach, there's a distinct possibility that Fort Worth can look a lot more like the second picture than the first. If each one of us would just take a step outside of the confines of our comfort and into the more we were made for right in the place that we're placed. I want to pray for us just a second then I want to show you an example just one example of a person at doxology who's already living into this in fact we're going to show you a different one of these all throughout the rest of this series every week what they all have in common and they do it in different ways different places different skills what they all have in common is that all of them have decided to break out of the confines of comfort and to fill the cracks however big or small they are with whatever they bring to the table wherever they go and whenever they're there And I want to show you in just a moment let me pray for us It's possible that you've come to this moment and you're not sure you're in Christ. It's hard to live into the more that we're made for if you don't know the life giver. And in this moment, uh, you can find yourself in Christ. And it's as simple as just trusting him. Believing that he came to the earth to live the life that you were called to live and haven't but to pursue you, to see you, to rescue you. He wants to forgive you. He knows exactly who you are and where you've been and what you've done, and he's still pursuing you. He loves you. He gave his life for you, and he wants to give you his life, what he deserves. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ, it's yours as a gift, costs you nothing. And you may just tell him right in this moment, God, I believe. I'm putting my trust in Jesus to give me what I don't have and I need, and to take me where I can't go, but he's going. This moment, I'm receiving everlasting life, life that's truly life, that I believe is only found in him, and I'm putting my trust in him this morning. Lord, for the person that's trusting in Jesus for the very first time in this moment, and for a whole bunch of us that trusted him a long time ago, Lord, I pray that this would not be the last moment for them or for us, that we experience your power in our life. That we would know you better at the end of this day than even we know you right now. I pray for every single one of us that as we walk through these next six weeks, that we would discover our calling and the hope that's found there. And that we would all break free of the confines of comfortable and live into the more that you made us and saved us and commissioned us And placed us and gifted us for. Wherever you call us, whenever we're there, could we live like that? And some of us like this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Doxology Bible Church podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. If you're ever in the Fort Worth area, we'd love to worship with you in person at one of our services. For more information on service times and location, visit doxology.church. Thanks for listening to the Doxology Bible Church podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. If you're ever in the Fort Worth area, we'd love to worship with you in person at one of our services. For more information on service times and location, visit doxology.church.